0: I'm Sinead O'Moore, and you're listening to Every Mum, the podcast. Every Mum, the podcast was created for one reason, to get honest about parenthood, about the realities, the joys, the surprises, and the fears, the moments that form us, and the ones we don't hear people talk enough about, which is why we are so proud to partner with Water Wipes as our sponsor for this season, as they share this mission with us and are such an essential brand for every mum. As creators of the world's purest baby wipes containing just two ingredients, 99.9% water and just a drop of fruit extract, water wipes are purer than cotton wool and water, and also the proud winners of three national parenting product awards 2020, including Best Baby Wipes. During the early days as a parent, everything is uncertain, but choosing the right wipes shouldn't be a worry. With no artificial fragrance, soap, silicones or colours, Water wipes are suitable for sensitive newborn and even premature skin. Together, we are committed to providing more reassurance for parents with trusted products and this podcast, helping us to all take those important steps towards greater confidence while building a community of support for every mum. There are many, many routes to motherhood and every single one is magical. In this episode, we are joined by author, nutritional therapist, model and new mum Rosanna Davison to talk about her incredible route to motherhood. With kindness, she takes us through her story from the first pregnancy to 14 miscarriages. The years of staying positive while trying to find a solution. The really hard decision to not carry her baby, but to pursue surrogacy instead. And to that moment where she cut the cord and took baby Sophia into her arms. Rosanna's story is heartbreaking and beautiful in equal measure. Her resilience, courage and strength is honestly mind-blowing. And hearing her personal and honest story you can't help but believe that becoming a mother is simply magical. So, Rosanna Davison, thank you so much for accepting our invitation to be a guest on Every of the podcast and thank for joining you. me today and sharing your story about how you became a mum to baby Sophia. Thank you so much for having me. Not at all. Um, Good to be here. It is a very unique story in terms of the typical way that Irish women have become mothers. And I think that's why your story is so powerful. And um, we're all drawn to it because we're looking at this process Mm. and your life Mm. and thinking, you know, it's so such an incredible happy ending. I think everyone is just so delighted for you. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, the, the response has been
1: overwhelmingly positive and supportive. And, you know, there's just been so much love and, um, you know, positivity shown to um, me and my husband, Wes, ever since we went public with our story in July last year. So it's, it's I suppose for us, it's just opened our eyes to um, fertility issues, how many women and couples are going through struggles and, uh, you know, as I was saying to you just before we started recording, no matter the details of somebody's journey, and there are so many different journeys, you know, that we've heard and just stories out there, I think we all deal with the same sort of emotions. Um, And that's something I obviously want to talk about um, throughout this podcast and just how to manage the emotions
0: and the, the sense of fear and loneliness and the trauma of going through fertility issues. When did you start identifying, like when did you start thinking, I think there's a problem? We're married in t- 2014. By the end of 2015,
1: we thought, you know, this is a great time to start a family. We'd always imagined having kids and, and becoming parents. So um, I got pregnant very quickly. It was all very exciting. You know, went to my GP, had it all confirmed, had my bloods done. everything looked fine. Um Probably rushed into telling my family at five weeks, but we were celebrating my grandmother's 90th and they were sort of noticing that I wasn't having any wine at yeah. the dinner. <laughs> it's hard to avoid that. It's hard to when it's your family yeah. and they know you very well. And you're so excited. Um, and I was so excited and I was really feeling all that you know, the tiredness and the bloating and the hormones yeah. and kind of embracing it all. Um, so we did that. And then, as I've said, at six and a half weeks, um, it all ended very suddenly. Painfully, as anyone who's been through um, that kind of miscarriage knows. So, um, you know, told my doctor, and I was just told to kind of try again because, unfortunately, um, as many women and and men know, it
0: is common to have a first miscarriage. One in four. Yeah, exactly. Um, So, you know, it's traumatic to talk about because I think that's one of the problems of miscarriage and feeling those Mm. senses of loss and loneliness and kind of surprise almost because because we don't talk about pregnancy before 12 weeks, we often don't hear the experiences of miscarriage. That's it. And it's made me question why we have to be so silent, why we're told
1: to be so silent up until the 12 week scan. Yeah. Um, because so if it, Well, yeah. And if it happens to you, it's so important to talk about it. And I remember, you know, say it happened on a Wednesday, that Saturday I was going to my friend's birthday party for her one year old boy. And I told everyone there and it didn't ruin the mood. I mean, they were very supportive and it just made me feel feel so much better that you know I got the news out there I was being supported by my friends some yeah. of whom had had been through it as well and um, so yeah, I knew from the beginning it was important to talk about it and to share the experience and not to feel so kind of traumatized by it yeah. because it's such a primal feeling being pregnant and having those hormones flying through your body and and knowing there's a life growing in there and then suddenly for it to end you know abruptly is real shock. And to come down off that, mm. the you know, to come through the hormone
0: mm. crash is very
1: difficult as well. So and you
0: immediately start imagining a few months down the line, You start picturing that due date. You start picturing this new life, this new norm. Of course, I knew my due date. And you start to
1: imagine the life you're going to have with your new baby and, you know, how it will change everything and the future you'll have. Mm. So um, it taught me, unfortunately, to be way more cautious the next time around. And, you know, the next time I got pregnant, the same thing happened again. Third time it happened. In total, um, it happened 14 times that I would get pregnant quickly. But again, lose it quite quickly. Um, and as I've said, I'm I'm grateful in a way I feel very lucky ultimately to have had a happy ending to our story, but I do feel grateful that, you know, they weren't miscarriages that happened later on. I think it's, it's tough no matter what stage, it's a loss no matter what stage, because you know, you found out you're pregnant, you start obviously imagining your, your due date and how it'll all happen and you never lose hope even on miscarriage number 10 I didn't lose hope I always felt that it was a good sign that you know we were getting pregnant very easily there was an egg there it was being fertilized. there was something else going on um, so after the third loss, um, I did have, you know, battery of tests from, mm. you know, your thyroid. We had karyotyping done, which looks at our genetics together as a couple. Um, we had kind of all sorts of blood co- coagulation panels. Um, oh God, all sorts of things. Huge range of tests. Your hormone profiles, your blood groups, nothing ever showed up. Um, you know, AMH showed that my egg reserve was very good. So everything pointed to very good fertility. And then on Wes's side, his, he was delighted. Everything showed up very good on his side. So we were just told, you know, (laughs) Bad luck, you know keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was only maybe after maybe five, six losses that um, me, having done an awful lot of research, asked a lot of questions, I ended up seeing five different specialists between Ireland and um, the U.K, that I ended up seeing it was a process of elimination, really. I said, well, it's not that. The only area I hadn't looked at was um, reproductive immunology, which looks at your immune system. Uh, so I, I saw a specialist in that. And it's it's a difficult area because it's very sort of gray. I don't think there's a wide enough amount of research in what would be considered sort of the gold standard research um, in terms of, you know, wide-scale sort of trials. Um, so it's a very hard one to measure and... Uh, there are an awful lot of, you know, stories from doctors about their um, patients and various blood tests you can do. Um, but again, it's a very widely debated area still, I think, in terms of fertility. Um, but I ended up doing this set of tests called the Chicago Bloods, which are sent off to Chicago. And it looks at like quite a, a wide-ranging immune panel. And it turned out that I had um, a significant difference between what are called Th1 to Th2 cytokines, which are immune modulators that control your immune response to, say, outside Influences or foreign mm-hmm. invaders, so I was told that they're very positive for kind of pathogens or cancer cells, but not so good for, you know, incoming DNA. and in, in this case, it was my husband's DNA within the embryo that my body was rejecting. Um, it was literally setting up so a, an immune kind of response. Like a foreign object was there, and it had yeah. to just protect you. Which it is. I mean, my body was doing exactly what it really should do in, in most normal circumstances, but with pregnancy your immune system is meant to sort of down regulate um and accept mm-hmm, the foreign mm-hmm. DNA in and you know shift its balance but mine wasn't doing that so poor Wes it's like you know the ultimate rejection from a woman <laughs> you, <laughs> you were, were actually your wife. killing himself <laughs> I was literally <laughs> rejecting him from you know the inside yeah so I suppose once I found out this information, it was a huge relief because we had an answer at last. It made sense. You know, it made sense that our fertility per se was very good, but yep. it was my body and um, building up this immune response that would sort of take hold around the six and a half week mark. So that's why everything looked good up to a certain point, and then and then it ended. It's like it was like an internal fight, and then my body always won the fight. So were once, you relieved to have a solution? or Were you relieved to get some information? I did. I was really relieved. So, you know, this is sort of maybe mid 2017 at this stage, so it's been going on quite a while um, without any answers, Um, about a year and a half, maybe at that stage. So once we had an answer, it meant that we could really focus on finding a solution, a medical solution. So each time then I would get pregnant, we would try a different medical approach. So maybe it would be... Um, taking, um, injecting uh, blood thinners, um, heparin in my case, um, every day of the pregnancy or else I would um, try progesterone injections which go deep into your glute muscles. So I was covered in bruises all the time. It wasn't, luckily I don't mind injections. so It was fine in that sense. But um, you do feel a bit beaten up. Mm, And um, another time I would try Humira injections which are fairly hardcore um, immune suppressant injections. So everything was designed to try and suppress my immune response. And then a nurse would come and administer this drip. So I'd be sitting on the sofa watching TV and then my arm would be (laughs) hooked up to a drip Um, and another approach to suppressing my immune system. And, you know, every so often then I'd get um, what would be called half Chicago done to check how my immune system was responding. And it made a slight difference, but it was not enough, I was told, to actually hold on to a pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, we began sort of thinking... Nothing is working. I was having side effects. I was on high dose corticosteroids for a long time as well, and anyone who's been on them will know that you know you start getting a bloated face and just generally swollen with water retention. Um, I was getting you know things like I was getting headaches and um, little mouth ulcers on my gums and tongue from the side effects mm-hmm. of the medication, and also you're at higher risk for um diseases like osteoporosis um, from being on long term steroids and um, blood thinning injections. So we had to take all of this into account and eventually my doctor just said you know you can't continue taking medication, it's not working as it should Um, would you consider another option obviously IVF wasn't an option for us because the the getting pregnant part wasn't the difficult part Um, so he said, you know, you'd be good candidates candidates for surrogacy because, you know, you you've still got time on your side, your egg quality is good, you're fertile. And it was the first time we'd sort of considered it and it was a shock. I mean, the idea I think for any woman or man to think mm. of a stranger carrying your, your baby in a, in another country, um, is pretty horrifying. It's a total loss of control. Up until that point, um I had I felt like I was in some sort of control in terms of asking questions and doing research um, I think at the time I was studying well this is 2018 now so I, I just started studying for a, a full time master of science degree in nutrition so I had access to a lot of the journals and the websites and I was able to access a lot of the, the research so I was able to kind of keep on top of everything and did that give you back be in control? control it did I just felt like I was in control and I wasn't just going to the doctor and saying, "You tell me what I need to do. I felt like I could ask questions and in terms of advice to anyone going through fertility issues, I would always say, you know not necessarily go pour through the scientific journals as I did, but do do a bit of research, ask questions, avoid too much googling though as well because it's once lied. you start looking at you know the kind of blogs or um chat rooms, you can Mm. get swayed off course and get sort of terrified by all the information and stories out there. So it's more just being in control of asking questions and questions that are relevant
0: to you and your journey. What else did you do to mind yourself throughout all of this? I mean, as you said, you've been through so many Mm. miscarriages. You've now been through so many different treatments. You know, you're trying to put on the armour that makes it look like life is business as usual mm. and as you said you're still continuing with different goals that you have in other aspects of your world. How are you minding yeah. yourself through all of this? That's something I've thought about a
1: lot and I suppose at the time I was very much on on top of as much as I could. Well in terms of minding myself and, and minding Wes and him minding himself throughout this process I sometimes look back. I think as many of us do with difficult periods of our lives, we look back and think, how did I get through that? Or how did I cope? But you do. You adapt as humans. I think we're very adaptive. And we sort of adapt to whatever situation is thrown at us. Um, I know I certainly threw myself into work. um, And we traveled quite a bit throughout um, 2016 and 17. Um, 2016, I wrote my second book, Eat Yourself Fit. And that definitely kept me busy. Um, books are sort of nearly a year-long process between the writing, the editing, the shooting, the promoting. Um, and then 2017, I started working with an international hotel group, um, designing their wellness recipes for their restaurants and spas and room service menus. And um, they were based in, they are based in the Indian Ocean. So that took me on some nice trips. there. So nice. I, you know, I had something to focus on away from what was going yeah. on with us. But at the same time, it did take an awful lot of our time and our mental space. I think there's nothing that makes you feel quite like a grown up than going to a fertility clinic yeah. <laughs> and sitting in the waiting room waiting to be seen. Um, so I suppose we, we did look after ourselves as a couple. Um, we were very supportive of one another. We found that speaking to family and close friends was an important part of the healing mm. process. And just, I find that the more I opened up to friends, the more I'd hear their stories and their experiences. It's funny, it became, isn't it, how that happens? Yeah, it
0: becomes like a community yeah. then. And we we p- stay, kind of, you know, we, we can be so silent about the things that mm. we're most worried about. Almost, yeah. if you speak it, takes on a life of its own and it becomes more true and And your fears are out there. Absolutely. And it feels like maybe you're a burden on people or you're opening up an area that's raw
1: and sensitive for others. But actually it becomes so much easier when you begin to talk about it with people. And again, I'd appeal to anyone going through fertility issues now or in the past or in the future to just not go through it alone because it's it's a lonely traumatic road. And To feel that you may never have a family is—it's a really traumatic feeling, Um, and especially to be in a society where it's so children-focused. You know, Christmases I found difficult. Mm. Um, I was Mm. almost relieved when I had to write my thesis over Christmas 2019 there, because it just gave me something to focus on. Um, You know, I found that. Mother's Days or Easter's or, you know, seeing the pictures of your yeah. friends, chil- children running around um, on an Easter egg hunt or, you know, Mother's Day pictures. We just live in such a family focused yeah. society
0: that it is very difficult when Especially it's all you want. When your world, you know, your group, when everybody else starts having their own families, yeah. the dynamic changes it so does. much. They don't have the same available time and, you know, they're kind of doing well, let's meet at 9 a.m. in the park at the playground yeah. instead Everything of 9 p.m. in the bar.
1: Yeah. I and mean, when we stopped, obviously, going out, I mean, a long time ago now, it feels like. But it does. It all becomes about your friends, babies and their time. And, you know, they would say, oh, my child is at the crash or at childcare." I can meet you now. And the group chat becomes about babies and yeah. children and teething and sleep, childcare and sleep. So, it, you know, you do get to an age where it's happening for all your mm-hmm. friends and it, on the outside it looks like it's happening easily and you you feel really happy for them but such a pang of sadness for yourself mm-hmm. that it's just not happened yet. So it's it's a tough place to be and for the most part over those years we, we kept ourselves strong and positive but we did have days, I had days mm-hmm. where I just felt like it would never happen and I've been quite vocal and I did say on the Late Late Show recently that I did seriously ask Wes to consider leaving me because I knew how badly he wanted a baby and a family and he had been clear from the beginning of our marriage that he really wanted to be a dad and almost before I wanted to become a mum you know I knew how, how much he wanted it so you know there were days when I just felt so low and i I said to him, like, I can't, I can't give you a family. I think that you really should consider while you're young. Yeah. Um, Consider maybe looking at, you know, finding a new partner. But you he wanted to a be a family. dad with you. Yeah. So we, we look back at it and laugh now. I mean, it wasn't funny at the time, but. Like, no says, matter how the strong way I was going to leave you. I mean, We, yeah. we had our dogs, I suppose, and dogs are great for. Um, projecting any maternal drives, um, we have baby sized dogs as well, so I found myself <laughs> carrying them around like babies
0: and but you, I think you know, it's a really it's interesting thing that you talk anonymous. about like you're you feel almost you're denying the person you love the most, the thing that they want, mm. and like it's now your job to set them free to go and find what they really need. yeah, but it's not they want to be a parent with the person that they love. Yeah, he, he was like,
1: you know, there was no way I was going to consider finding someone else. It's you that I want to have family with. And if it wasn't meant to be, then it wasn't meant to be. And I did start preparing myself mentally for a life without children. And, you know, we spoke about it and we said, look, we'll travel the world yeah. and we'll, you know, focus on our careers and, you know, all the rest, although we had focused on our careers so much up until that point. But there was a part of life that just felt a little bit meaningless as well without thinking of having a family or thinking that we would have a family. So um, it was a, you know, it's, it was a difficult place to be when it's what you think about all day and what you want desperately.
0: On those particularly um, down days, as you say, like when it really gets to you, what got you out of that I think family support. My mom
1: was just my rock as well. She, you know, I used to call her every time I felt like every month I found out I was pregnant again. Yeah. She'd say, you know, this is great. This is exciting. Stay positive. This new treatment might work. Um, you know, this new I don't know dosage of steroids or or dosage of whatever it was. I was taking the time might work. Mm-hmm. This, you know, might be the one and you know, she she was so supportive, and I mean, so was my dad. So were my brothers. Um, they were all amazing. So I think just family w- was a big thing for us. Um, but again, focusing on other things that brought us joy in life, like like travel, like um, our dogs, or just the simple things, just going mm. for meals together. Mm. Um, just focusing on what brings you joy away from yeah. thinking about a family, I think, was important to us. Um. So I I remember at one stage being offered counseling in one of the fertility clinics and I did consider it and maybe looking back, I should have thought about it because I know, you know, therapy is so important for so many people and it really works for a lot of people. But at the time I thought, no, I'm, I'm able to get through this. I'm strong enough. And my therapy was talking to my friends and family, Mm. but, you know, I would encourage people going through it to seriously consider I'm talking to a non-judgmental sort of pair of ears who don't know you. They're just an outside person to to support you because I probably could have
0: done with the extra support looking back. Mm. And we know now that your emotional and mental well-being is almost just as important as what's going on physically for you when you're going through fertility because of the impact on your hormones when you're in fight or flight, yes. or when you are burdened by anxiety and finding a way of releasing that and managing your mind while the doctors manage your
1: body it's so important yeah to find an outlet for your mind or a way of managing the emotions because unfortunately with fertility issues everything takes a long time Mm. so um, it takes a long time to get test results to even figure out a route to take medically Obviously, um, the two week wait is
0: terrific. Early <laughs>
1: tough. Um, no matter what sort of fertility. Even waiting for ovulation and then
0: through. waiting for the two week wait. Yeah. You, you, you run your body, you run your life in two week cycles. You do. And,
1: oh, and it's, you know, it's not romantic. It's not sexy trying to constantly yeah. get pregnant. Um, there were times I remember my mom was in my house one day. I think she was with me. I was doing the final edits of my book. And I thought, oh, I think I'm ovulating. I felt I used to always feel it. I still do. Yeah. And so I had to ring Wes and say, would you get, get home from work? I'm ovulating. And my mom then was like, OK, I'll, I'll, I'll go home. I'll leave, <laughs> I'll leave you. And, you know, it's a good not, idea, mom. <laughs> yeah, it's not romantic. It's not not at all But you just romantic. do what you need You to do. just have to do what you need to do. So it becomes you know, such it a drive becomes and becomes, focus. Yeah. And it just becomes, uh, yeah, just the means to an end, it yeah. means to having a baby. Yeah. So um and that's I think most couples going through it will relate to it. You just have to go with the timing and if one of you has to be away for a few nights over th- the time that you need yeah. to be together, it's a problem. And, you know, it's yeah, it's all about just getting the timing right.
0: And then managing until you get those results and then managing yourself until did you find coming into that kind of six week when were you starting to anticipate those initial signs that it wasn't yeah, gonna last.
1: Because I'd always be someone who'd feel the pregnancy hormones immediately. I'd always feel kind of the tiredness and the sore breasts yeah. and the bloating and um I'd always notice that I'd need that little bit more sleep or I'd need a nap yeah. in the evenings. So I'd so start to feel maybe towards the end of the six and a half week or so time period, I'd start to feel I would more energy and I was less tired. And I just always feel the hormones sort of leaving my declining. system and then I'd know what to anticipate. Um, uh, you know, I, I do understand, though, that before kind of the eight week period, it is little less traumatic there's less I suppose of the pregnancy to lose Mm. and then after that it's it's kind of gets worse I never had to have a DNC for example but still I mean it's you're still pregnant for long enough to really feel it and to feel the change in your body and to and be
0: so conscious analyzing every feeling yeah and do I feel tired enough do I feel more energy energy today yeah feeling yeah. if
1: your boobs hurt that day more than others. or
0: It's mentally draining. It is. Asking yourself constantly, is my body pregnant?
1: Yeah, it is. And to constantly take tests and mm. the money you spend on all of it. Um, and to think, oh, I better not have that cup of tea just in case. You start to almost... Actually, I, when I got out of the period of blaming myself, that's when it got much easier as well. And that's something I suppose I haven't talked about enough uh, up until now is... The way you blame yourself is so um, exhausting and so sort of traumatic as well for your mental health. Um, I think once we got that answer about my immune system, I stopped blaming myself and stopped thinking, "Oh, I shouldn't have gone to that Pilates class," or "Oh, was my were my jeans too tight?" or you know, silly things like that. Or just reaching for that coffee. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Should I have gone to bed earlier? You know, you start to think of everything that you could have done differently, and as we all know, logically, you know it's it's a miscarriage is going to happen generally, whether you have that cup of coffee or not. Unfortunately, there's very little we can do to stop them um It's whatever your body is doing it's whatever maybe you the, the genetic makeup of your embryo is doing and just I would really appeal to to any woman going through it not to blame yourself because it's it's another thing that you just have to deal with that's mentally exhausting and that's physically exhausting and um you know nobody should ever feel that they have to blame themselves for for anything so you know that's an
0: important I think area to think about for for people going through it at a time when you actually need to be so kind to yourself yeah yeah so loving to yourself because you know you're experiencing intense grief and intense loss don't add guilt and blame on top of that
1: yeah absolutely it's you know about really supporting each other as a couple and making sure that your partner understands that it's not in your control and to really make sure you have a supportive network around you and yeah just being kind to yourself um you know, we we just made sure we you know had just nice kind of experiences, nice meals out, or weekends away. Um, my parents have a little cottage in Wexford, so we used to go and stay there just to get out of Dublin and to to get look a bit of country to. air. Yeah, so it's really important just to, as I said earlier, have things to look forward to that bring you joy and take your mind off what's happening.
0: So take us forward then to the decision to pursue surrogacy.
1: Yeah. So as I was saying, it was pretty horrifying to think of relinquishing control and mm. you know someone else growing my baby. I was desperate to have a bump. Yeah, and you're you saying goodbye to a everything. lot.
0: You are. Like I know it's a, it's an option and it's adding this new level of hope. Yeah. But on the other hand, you are closing the door on a chapter of what you assume will be that pregnancy and the birth.
1: Yeah. And it's a route to parenthood, of course. It's it's absolutely feasible as we've shown. But, um, you know, I was. Desperate to feel kicks and um, you know, buy maternity clothes and have a bump to show off and just all the things that my friends were doing, you know um, so we were told that surrogacy would be a good option for us and it took me a few weeks to sort of get my head around the idea. Mm. But once we said, look this is our only real chance at this stage, um, I can't keep continuing with all the medication. Um, The first thing we did was contact a lawyer who specializes in surrogacy. And I would say to anyone, um, thinking about going down the surrogacy route, no matter where in the world you do it, is to get um, very solid legal and medical advice Mm. as well. Because obviously you have to be medically healthy enough to go through um, IVF surrogacy, which is what we did using our own um, eggs, well, my own eggs. Um, So we did that and the lawyer gave us um, a list of clinics that she had had clients who had had success with. Um, She talked about the different countries you can look at, but said Ukraine would be a very good option for us as a married Irish couple. Um, So from then, I just did, did a load of research online. Um, as I said, I was doing a master's at the time, so I think in my, my lunch break, I just used to Google everything about surrogacy and read all about it and read. And was it helpful? Personal experience. Was there helpful
0: content that you could find? It was,
1: yeah. Reading about individual experiences was good. good, And then I, I sent a lot of emails to a lot of different clinics and we just selected the clinic New Life Ukraine that we ended up going with, um, based on kind of the, the package, um, they were sort of. Offering it medically um, and legally, we felt that we would be looked after, and we felt that the surrogate would be looked after. It was important to us as well to make sure that nobody would be exploited, yes. everybody would be looked after. Mm-hmm. So, from then, just we started communication. Um, it took the guts of a year then to get through the next stage, which was showing that we were healthy enough um, to have our biological material yeah put into a, another person what does that
0: entail well, so that entails that you're healthy enough
1: well that entailed I mean rounds after rounds after rounds of blood tests and scans and luckily I have a very supportive GP who <laughs> just saw me nearly twice a week I was in with her um luckily as I said I don't mind needles or blood yeah. tests but it just meant doing showing that I was hormonally um healthy enough to undergo the um, hormone treatment for the, kind of the IVF side that I'd no infectious diseases that you know I had no sign of tuberculosis of breast um, cancer of cancer markers in my blood um, it was just
0: every sort of blood test mm. and scan you can nearly think of I had to do and is this to protect as well yeah is this to protect You both in terms of the treatment that you have to undergo. Yes. Or is it to protect the recipient of what the genetic material you're putting into them? Both. I
1: mean, we had to prove that we're not HIV positive or we don't carry a certain infectious disease. So when we're putting our when they're putting our material into her, that she won't catch something. OK. And then we had to prove hormonally Well, I had to anyway, that I was healthy enough to undergo the hormone treatment. So all the injections to actually stimulate my eggs to grow. Yeah. Yeah. So all of that stuff. And then some of the tests had a three month um, sort of length of time. So if you didn't get everything else in over the three months, you had to repeat them. (laughs) So um, we did all that. And then by November 2018, we signed our um, contracts and then. They went about then finding the surrogate. So we have no say over um, the surrogate. They just have to, well, women over there sort of sign up for it. And then they're chosen based on their medical history. They have to be unmarried. Um, They have to have already had a a baby kind of with a normal, healthy, uncomplicated vaginal birth. Have no signs of any complications. um, Be a certain age bracket. So anyway, they found um, a surrogate for us. And she was sort of tested, went through everything. And then in February 2019, we flew to Kiev and then started the hormone treatment in order to grow my eggs um, for the egg retrieval process. So I How responded... How long did that take in Kiev? It, oh, we were there for three weeks in total, but the actual process only took 10 days. I responded very quickly. Um, and yeah, it was it was all very positive. And um, they got, we yeah got 20 fertilized eggs out of the first go so um they were able to which is quite high you hear someone yeah, going through so all that and only getting a couple was, of them yeah lucky as i yeah. said that you know all the fertility side was good um so I just went through that i didn't find it too too awful and um, i didn't know what to anticipate but if you're someone who hates injections then it yeah. is kind of awful but i'd gone through so many You've injections gone through it and at this point tests that you know i didn't mind so much um, and it was it was sore, it's painful for the final few days before the egg retrieval procedure mm-hmm. because you're carrying around what feels like bags of marbles in your lower abdomen. Wow. Um, so it made it very painful to walk around. So I was hobbling around a little bit and you're very swollen as well, um, but it's only temporary. And yeah. in a way I look back on that time and love the fact that I was carrying Sophia you know, in my ovaries. So I felt like she's been a part of me. She has been a part of me for my whole life, because um, as as I suppose she was most part of your mum, she was yeah. And I love the maternal lineage story mm. where my mum carried her within me, within you know her when she was pregnant with me, and then obviously since I was five months old within my mum, yeah. I've carried Sophia. She was always so, there. Yeah. So you know, she's been kind of a part of me, which has been lovely. Um, for my whole life. You just life. had to get her into the world. Yeah. So in a way it felt nice to feel the real sort of physical side of the egg retrieval process because it did make me feel yeah. that she was in me properly.
0: Yeah. So you were um, going through something physical to yeah. create her.
1: And I went through something that was uncomfortable um, and painful at times, but it, it meant that she was yeah. there You know,
0: at the end. So, um, yeah, the and procedure. How soon after the implanting did you get good news?
1: So, the implantation process went ahead on the 12th of March last year. And then two weeks later, we got word by email that
0: um, we were expecting. So, on the 26th of March. So You're just hitting refresh for those two weeks, <laughs> looking at your email. <laughs> so, so I don't know
1: how anyone copes with the two week wait but I think I just kept busy and just stayed positive and we had a good feeling because you know our surrogate was healthy and obviously it
0: had a healthy pregnancy already and our embryo was healthy um even given the number of miscarriages you had that those initial that that fertilization was healthy yeah you know that meeting of the initial side was always always fine exactly my bloods were always fine it was just going into somebody else who didn't have the issue you had so I felt really
1: positive about it actually because she didn't have the immune issue that I had and so yeah I found out she was pregnant and I obviously we were delighted but i was still so so used to having so many losses again and again that we didn't get very excited we just thought this is great but we kind of moved on with our lives then um, and then it was just a case of getting our scans initially every two weeks. So that was exciting. We got our six week scan um, and it was, I think it was six and a half weeks. And we were told that, that there was a heartbeat and um, we got a little picture such of a huge tiny little bean. Yeah. And then we got the eight week scan, 10 week scan, 12 week scan. And by the 12 week scan, I mean, the, the, there was a proper little baby yeah. in there. And that was very exciting to see. Um, but I was still an absolute bag of anxiety all (laughs) last year up until I remember breathing a little bit of a sigh of relief at 26 weeks and then 28 weeks feeling a little bit better Then by 30 weeks, um,
0: feeling, okay, this is a big milestone to get to. We're on the the home stretch now. You know, you're into Uh, kind of viability land. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Although the idea, even if she was kind of born at 28 weeks with, it would still mean an awful lot of time spent over Kiev and and the NICU. Um, And as I said, we were kept separate um, from the surrogate. We had no contact with her. Um, We were just given the medical side, which really helped, I think, because it just meant we focused on her growth, the baby's growth, and that was it. And not about the individual, the person. Although I got more curious over last summer. And in August, I asked for a bump picture. I think Um, the surrogate would have been about 23, 24 weeks. So I thought, oh, she'll have a bump by now. I'll have a look. We were sent a picture and it just brought up all sorts of strange feelings that I didn't anticipate. So I started, you know, it brought in the human Mm -hmm. side so much. I kind of went, oh, this is what she looks like. And Mm. she's carrying around our, our baby, around her everyday life. You know, how does she feel about the kicks? Does she have an emotional attachment? What does her little girl think about all of this? Does her partner feel emotionally attached? Are they, you know touching the bump? Mm-hmm. Does her daughter think she's getting a little brother or a sister? So I felt quite sad actually looking at the picture even though it was exciting to see her bump I just thought this is what I'm missing out on and I would love to have a bump to, to be her, be proud of, yeah. So from then on I just had to focus on just getting the scans and that was it I stared at the scan pictures and we were given these 4D you know, scans, moving scans every month and I just stared at them for us <laughs> for you know hours and days and just you know looked at our baby that way so that was really exciting and then trying to see who did she look like did you know it was a girl um we found out in June that we were expecting a girl she, I think she was sixteen weeks um two of the doctors said yeah it looks looks like you're having a girl and it was lovely because um I found out I kind of asked and found out and I didn't tell Wes and I said to him look um this afternoon. We're gonna go over to my mum and dad's house. All four of us are going to be there, and I'm going to reveal the gender. Yeah. Um. So, because with the embryos, you don't know. We actually implanted two embryos, and you don't know what what you're gonna get. If you're gonna get twins or not, mm. or obviously one of them didn't um, take. Um, Sophia elbowed <laughs> whoever her brother or sister out of the way. Um. So anyway, I made or two. I, I'm lying I didn't make it I bought it but cut out a chunk of the middle of the sponge cake and put in this like pink sprinkle stuff yeah um which I'd bought in the supermarket and brought it over and you know I filmed them cutting the cake open <laughs> and all these pink sprinkles came out and you know there were tears and Les was like oh delighted to have a, a daughter and my parents were thrilled to have a granddaughter and champagne and everything so that was lovely it was a nice way to do it um, to find out before them. And then it was confirmed again at the 20-week scan. Um, but I remember still being so... Uh, before the scans, I just wouldn't sleep. And I don't know if yeah. the same probably is for anyone pregnant with, especially their first baby. The 20-week growth scan, I just didn't sleep for days. I felt sick mm. thinking, what if there's something wrong? We've been through so much. What if there's a genetic anomaly or a problem with her growth? Um, so, yeah, I was I was really anxious. I mean, the idea of someone else going through it all, I think, makes you even more anxious because you literally have no control, no control over any of it. Do you think at um, this point you were kind of programmed for bad news? Yeah, absolutely. I was programmed for it, absolutely, and felt felt that I could deal with it, I suppose, as well. But just felt, you know, we've put so much, we've invested so much of our time and energy um, into this that what will we do if it doesn't work? Anyway, we were told, you know, she had all sorts of tests done, all the genetic tests done, and we were told she was absolutely 100% perfect. Um so that made us feel better, but still you could think of all the awful things that could happen, you know that the surrogate would be hit by a bus or have a fall or just your mind races. So um you know, that last year we, it doesn't end. It doesn't end. end so. no.
0: Even when they're born, it so doesn't no. end.
1: <laughs> so um last year we just really just focused on, you know doing fun things, meeting up with friends, um, lots of little weekends away, Mm. down to Wexford. We just, my brothers live in London, so we traveled over and saw them lots. So we just really distracted Mm. ourselves. And then I got to November November 11th. Funny enough, it was a year to the day exactly, the 11th of the 11th, that we had signed the contracts the year before. Mm. So we thought that's a good sign. It's a good synchronicity. So we traveled over to Kiev and the doctor had said, you know, we think she might be born at around 38 weeks because that's when the surrogate gave birth to her daughter. And our babies, you know, everything was looking quite good. So we flew over at 37 and a half weeks and um, met our surrogate for the first time. Um, She had a scan. And she would have been about 38 weeks on the button then. And it was surreal obviously walking into, as I've said, walking into a room and seeing the stranger carrying her baby. I mean, just completely incredible. you know, to see this woman with a big bump and knowing it's your child. It's your
0: child in um, there. Yeah. And I sort of kept myself It's insane myself really what you think about oh, it.
1: I mean, medical science, reproductive science it's is just phenomenal. incredible. It's such a miracle. And every day I just look at Sophie, I just think it's such a miracle that somebody else carried you and gave yeah. birth to you, yet you're our genetic child. And
0: it's such an amazing experience if you're going over it, an adoption process, mm. even, you know, and meeting the person who's carrying the child that you're ultimately going to parent yeah. and take home. But to know that it's actually it's your genes in there, yeah. it is your baby. It's such a
1: miracle. Um, so I kept myself together. Obviously, she's a stranger to us, and I didn't want to, you know, fall apart immediately. <laughs> so I held myself together until we went into the room and um, heard the heartbeat yeah. on the scan, and it was our first time hearing the
0: oh, heartbeat. Did you fall apart then? Um, oh yeah, just <laughs> it. I was
1: like, sorry, sorry. You can we were filming it. And yeah, we were just like breaking down in the corner. It's an incredible um, noise. It is. Um, so we did that, and then my mom flew over, and we were just living in an apartment for a few weeks in Kiev. Just had to keep ourselves busy while we waited on news. And uh, thirty-nine weeks on the button, so exactly a week later, um, we had walked the length and breadth of the city and eaten, I think, at every cafe there was, <laughs> and just to distract ourselves. And um, we got a call. Urgent call from the pregnancy coordinator, and I just got out of the shower, saying you need to get to the hospital. She's having kind of contractions every sixty seconds, mm-hmm. so we had our bags packed, legged it in an Uber to the hospital. Um, arrived in this flurry of like wet hair and bags. Had an hour then to just sort of check into our room there and get everything ready. And I thought, you know, I'd put this beautiful outfit together for when she was born, and little matching hat and. All the rest, no, I just grabbed whatever was closest to hand and said, okay, (laughs) this will do, this will keep her cozy. And then, you know, obviously just had to get the bottles out and milk and everything. Got that sorted, managed to... Do my hair, plan a bit of makeup because I thought at least if I'm meeting <laughs> my daughter, I'll try and look halfway decent. So then we were brought upstairs and walked into the room while when Sophia was crowning. So um so you got to see, the yeah, picture. just to walk into a room and watch this person you'd only met once giving birth to your baby. <sighs> just I I don't know how I held myself together in the late late last week because it's always the best where I just break down. But I'm maybe I've down. had enough time talking about it at this stage. Um, But yeah, it was just totally incredible. Um, And my mom was there too, so she kind of pushed me into the room because I was just standing there bawling, not knowing what to do. Um, And all this action was happening. Two midwives were there. The doctor was there. Obviously lots of pushing. It was the crucial stage. Um, So just as I kind of walked over, Sophia came out and they handed me a scissors. My first thought was ridiculous. It was like, oh, I'm left-handed. I hope this works. (laughs) Um, But yeah, cut the cord. And obviously cutting the cord is a huge symbolic moment because it's breaking the baby free from our surrogate and and into my arms kind of thing. Um, So they then... Took Sophie, and um, obviously, we're just weighing her and doing all the tests that they do and cleaning her. And I just turned to the surrogate who was just exhausted, obviously, as you would be. And I was just bawling my eyes out, saying, Thank you, thank you, or will I ever thank you enough? And she doesn't speak English, so mm. she wasn't probably, obviously, she got the gist yeah. of what I was saying. Yeah. But, um, you know, I just. I just couldn't I mean how can you ever thank someone enough for what they've done for you and no matter whether it's a a commercial arrangement or an altruistic surrogacy arrangement it's still a huge thing to do for somebody else um so it's you know there are other ways of earning a living or making money I suppose as well um so I just I just couldn't I can't thank her enough still um and we've stayed in touch by whatsapp and you know we use google translate to communicate yeah. and I don't know how many times I've sent her messages
0: saying thank you and I updates so and all sorts of things yeah to so know that, like she she must have cared then about what she was growing you yeah know, to want to stay in touch
1: um, because she's you know she was keen then to meet Sophia a few days later when we were all being discharged and um she sends me a little message every month saying happy three months or happy Aww. two months and I send her a picture and a little update on how Sophia's doing. So it's it's really wonderful to know that we, you know, we um, managed to find someone or they managed to find someone who did genuinely care yes. about um, our baby and about her health and well-being as well. So we had such a positive experience. Um, we were just handed the baby then after she was born and, um, you know, that was that was it. I mean, in terms of the surrogate and the baby, um, that's... She's just broken free from her yeah, um, physically and literally. Um, and then we spent a few days in hospital and, um, y- you know, that was kind of it. She was ours then. and obviously What was it like
0: when it was just the three of you for the first time?
1: Um, I think it was the, the most amazing experience was sort of leaving the hospital because up until then you're obviously... Inundated with nurses yeah, and people, there's interruptions in and, all the time. Yeah, and there's people coming in and making sure you're okay, and and the baby's okay, and they do all the various tests that they do for the first few days. So leaving hospital was very special, and bringing her back to the apartment, and my mum my was there. So we stayed on another couple of weeks, and then we brought her home. And coming through Dublin Airport at Christmas time, it was the seventh of December. It was very, you know, it was just magical. And my dad was there waiting for us and bawling, crying and (laughs) meeting his granddaughter. Um, So it was really special. We got home, then back to the house and Wes's mum was there and she decorated the house and put up um, balloons and um, just made it really special for us. So, you know, just to have that support and the welcome home was incredible after kind of the emotional journey we'd been through and still we look back and think, how did we do that? But You just do at the time because you you just just survive in whatever way you can. and then, yeah, we've just been in this lovely baby bubble
0: I Did it ever feel seen. permanent and real from day one? Did any of that um, fear of it going wrong linger once she was here?
1: No, and I wouldn't be a panicky person generally. I wouldn't panic about or worry about things yeah. that haven't happened. Um, I used to be, but maybe this whole journey has taught me not to so much. Um, no, since she's been here, she's just been ours and she's thriving and um she's just turning into this gorgeous little person and full of smiles she laughed out loud for the first time the (laughs) night before last um and she's just full of chats and giggles and um you know we just can't believe how lucky we've been really Uh, you know everything from uh, and it did take literally a a village of people to Mm -hmm. make this happen for us but everyone from um, you know, the specialists I saw to my GP to um, the surrogacy agency were just so kind and supportive and positive the whole way through, you know, to the lawyer we've been working with, to our families. You know, I feel like I'm doing an Oscar speech and <laughs> thanking everybody, <laughs> but it did take a huge amount of people mm. doing what they do best to to make this happen. And we had nothing but a positive Incredible experience mm. um, the whole way through, um, with everyone. So, you know, it's just we we just feel incredible, incredibly lucky that it worked. That um, we got Sophia. That you know we have this healthy, beautiful baby out of it. And um, I suppose it just goes to show it's a feasible route to parenthood, and yeah. that's the way you want to go. And if if you're in our situation where you have no other
0: option, that is your only route. Um, that's your only chance and i think that's why it's so important to talk to you know a generation of women that have are so fortunate to have so many different options you know yeah. we we are so fortunate now because of all of these medical advances that there are so many routes to motherhood and it's so wonderful to hear a positive outcome through a very different route yeah um it's an unusual route and i suppose
1: through our experiences i want to just um, reduce any stigma around infertility or pregnancy mm. loss or or surrogacy, um, and just show that you can have the the ultimate happiness out of it. It can work. You know, we're living proof that it can work, and that you know we've had nothing. As I said at the beginning, nothing but love and support and positivity from sharing our journey, and nobody has come out and said, you know, oh, you know, or judged us for doing what Good. we did because you know, as I've outlined or explained, um, it was our only hope. And, um, you know, we're just so incredibly lucky that it worked. And is it everything that you hoped for? I absolutely love being a mother. Yeah. It's just, as you know, I said, every, every single day is sort of different with her as she's changing, growing and evolving. And just as you think you've mastered one phase, she moves on quickly to the next. But she's an amazing baby. She's sleeping eight hours a night now, and I, I don't feel like we can take credit for it. It just sort of happened. She suddenly understood um, the difference between day and night. Um, and I, I know I've been warned of four month regressions and all that kind of thing, but we'll take it as it comes. Take it as it comes um, every, just but one day at a time. Just been, she's the first grandchild. So she, it's been incredibly special for the family and it's brought us all so much closer together. And, you know, my parents are over all the time spending time with her and it's just been so special um I think we feel like life is so kind of complete now that we have her um because before you know we had a wonderful life and we had everything we could have hoped for but it just felt like it was missing something and for us now it just feels
0: complete thank you so much for sharing your beautiful story it's it's heartbreaking but it's also just such an amazing ending yeah. and I am an emotional wreck <laughs> after listening to it all. I usually break down more,
1: but I think I've learned to just hold it together to get to the mm. end of the story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you so much for joining oh, thank us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Every Mom the Podcast. If you found it's helped you, let us know, share on Instagram or subscribe here and leave a review. You can learn more about caring for your fertility on everymum.ie and watch our series of powerful takeovers on Instagram. We're here to support you, so if there's anything you'd like us to focus on, get in touch at hello at everymum.ie. This series is kindly supported by Water Wipes. Water Wipes are an essential for every mum from that first nappy change and during those messy weaning months. As creators of the world's purest baby wipes, Water Wipes are purer than cotton wool and our proud sponsors of Every Mum, the podcast.